All right, welcome to the Running in Place podcast, a uh, a Gen X take on a millennial world. And I'm Jack. And this is Craig. And this is our inaugural episode of our podcast, and we're very excited to be here. And uh, Craig, do you have anything you want to start off with? No, not really. I mean, I just uh, I'm excited to do the podcast. Um, I think that uh, uh, we will have something unique and um, worthwhile, I think, to uh, to offer the listeners. And I hope you guys uh, get a lot out of it. Cool. Well, yeah, I, I think that's a good way to start. Maybe we just start with kind of the concept here. Our concept for a show, I think, and I'll, I'll let Craig talk about this too, but of course, um, I think our concept for this show was really to say that we're, we're living in a very interesting time and in an interesting age in that Craig and I are both sort of at the end of the Gen X and we see the people that are following us and we live in kind of, I think, kind of crazy times and it, it's, this is trying to give our perspective both on things that are happening very contemporaneously, what's going on in the news, what's going on with culture, what's going on with popular culture, but then also trying to periodically take a look at the bigger picture and maybe talk about things that are happening. I don't know. Do you have any kind of thoughts on that? No, I think that's, I think that's a good summary. Um, I think what's interesting about um, maybe Gen X's in general and, and us specifically is that um, I think we were we came around in a unique time in the the dawning information age in that you know the computer revolution started when we were old enough to appreciate it and experience it um, and yet not too old to um, sort of have it pass us by um, so I I'm still in my family considered the uh, IT guy, you know, my mom doesn't understand computers very well, so I'm, I'm, I've been relying on computers enough to understand that, and yet I am too old for, for what came after us. So, for instance, I don't really understand Instagram or what the point of that is or what people are doing on there. Um, so that's kind of, uh, I think it's a unique spot or an interesting spot in, uh, in the computer uh, age, and I think that uh, we're not alone in that either, and, and that might be part of the perspective we're offering here. I, you know, that's that's a you know how wow i'd never thought of that okay um that's good so here back in history there was there was the ancient world and then at some point starting right around you know the italian renaissance things transferred and became modern there's this concept of modernity and before you know everything before modern was ancient and then everything modern was modern and i i agree with that that kind of summation that we kind of straddled the fence on let's call it the industrial age and in that that was what that really, name's taken it, it was taken <laughs> yeah i did not coin that just, <laughs> just to be clear i think there's a book or two or a reference to that somewhere on the internet um but the industrial age was kind of where we were brought up and then still in our formative years the information age took over and took over dramatically and quickly and, and has been very much a force to be reckoned with. And we straddle that and that we remember the time pre cell phone. Yeah, and yet, no. and yet we're very much still young in the era of information and of cell phones and of instant communication. Um, you know, the example that I've, I've used is my grandma grew up without plumbing and without electricity in this house in big Bay, Illinois, where, I mean, seriously, I think there are 60 people in that town or it's some ridiculously small number. And she, at the end of her life, I was FaceTiming with her. I was video conferencing with her. Now she wasn't, she wasn't, she, it wasn't her iPad. It wasn't, it was some, you know, my cousin would hand the iPad to her and say, Hey grandma, you know, it's Jack here. He wants to talk to you. But she knew what was happening, right? She, she appreciated what was, what she was experiencing. She totally knew what was happening and really appreciated it. She didn't but, think you were Zod in the mirror no, or anything. No, no, it wasn't like, burn the witch! <laughs> <laughs> That'd be awesome. Um, no, no, it wasn't magic to her. But at the same time, she grew up, I mean, it wasn't that long after flight had occurred. Right, yeah. And, and then to see all of that happen and finally be able to talk to me in real time from hundreds of miles away was pretty astonishing. I mean, it's even amazing that you and I are sitting here just about 15 miles from each other, mm -hmm. talking to each other with zero latency like we're sitting next to each other. It is. It's, it is amazing. And uh, we're, you know, this, we're, we're using equipment to, to do this 
that um, um, either, you know, 20 years ago would have been, un, you know, unthinkable or outrageously expensive. Um, and it's and it's just sort of off the shelf stuff. It's just it's commonplace now. It, it You don't think twice about it. Well, and there's I'll admit I don't listen to terrestrial radio anymore. And, and I'm not a snob. I'm not like one of those guys that, oh, that's so beneath me. It's just that I don't listen to terrestrial radio. If it's not Spotify or Google Music, it's, mm-hmm. you know, podcasts or, or, or Audible. Right, exactly. That's that. Yeah, I, I do Audible all the time. Um, and the, the phone has become, well, I mean, that's, it's it's a uh, it's a trope at this point how people you know not not exactly a unique observation but it's it's interesting how the phone when we were growing up was a way to talk to someone and now that's it's uh it's like the tenth thing that it's used for on it's the total. list of most common things. Yeah, no, I, I both of my sons have phones and it's it's a gaming device, it's a texting device, it's everything else. Yeah. And oh yeah, hey, they can remember to answer the phone once in a while. I don't know if my daughter's ever made a call on her phone actually. I, might have made very few. In fact, I get kind of panicked when they do call me <laughs> just because they don't ever do that. I would have loved it, though, frankly, growing up. I mean, that was, well, particularly if you're making a call like uh, that you're a little nervous about, like, say, to a girl or something. Uh, how much easier it would have been to do a text instead of a call? I mean, these guys, they don't they don't know how hard it could have been. Yeah. No, they it it's a different kind of thing. Um, you know, I, why don't we talk for a second, maybe just about you know, the generational concept, because we've kind of touched on it here in a couple of different ways. And hell, it's in the the title of our podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, So at least starting since the people that I've ever been aware of. So we'll we'll call it the modern era. So there's, you know, you've heard the phrase, I think Tom Brokaw actually coined this phrase, although if I'm wrong, please don't flame me. uh, The greatest generation. These were the people born in from 1910 to 1924. So these would have been, in large part, the older people fighting the Second World War. These would have been the majors and the colonels and the generals and the first sergeants. And, and these would have been decision makers in okay. the Second World War. So I, didn't these, real, I, I thought greatest generation meant people who fought in World War II. Like I thought my grandfather was part of the greatest generation, but he was, he was definitely born after 24. Yeah, well, there's there's two, and I, I guess I never thought of this either. I thought all of them would have been the greatest generation. I, I totally concur with that. They were greater um, than me, that's for sure. Yes, it, indeed they were, uh, and me too. I'm not taking a swipe at you there. No, me too. Yeah. Um, but no, there's then there's the silent generation that was born from 25 to 45. Now, those were the ones who maybe didn't make a lot of decisions but still fought in World War II. Those were the people that were the lieutenants or the privates. Well, surely and, not 45. Yeah, not 45. But but kind of up to the end of the war, they kind of had to pick. So there was a big part of that generation that was either fought in World War II or kind of were at the immediate aftermath of World War II. Right, right. But with the greatest generation, they were alive and somewhat potentially, I guess, in their formative years – during the depression. Whereas the mm-hmm. silent generation kind of started off maybe born in the depression, but really not aware. I mean, I'm sure they were aware of it, but, but really not participants in it. They were kids or young kids or grade schoolers in the depression. And then came the war. Right. Um, they, they, of, they would have been, and I don't mean to cut you off, but they would have been actually just as an aside, let's avoid doing things like that. <laughs> what I just did um, saying things like, I'm sorry to cut you off there. Um, no, go ahead. That's, that takes people out of the moment. So I don't want to I, I'm going to try to make an effort to not say something like that. All right. You're a dick. Go ahead. Huh? OK. Um, and of course, I'll set aside time where I'm not going to be interrupted. Um, and I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, um, but the uh, the the what we're calling the silent generation or, or what has been called the silent generation. I think it's an important part of um of what defines them is probably the fact that they were raised by people who experienced the depression. And, um, you know, so their parents were probably frugal and or self-sufficient or distrusting perhaps of institutions, uh, in a way that the, the generation after probably didn't experience. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think that's very much, uh, very much the case. They were really kind of 
fostered in an area of individualism. Mm-hmm. But then kind of – I mean I like the, the distrust of institutions certainly. But then a, a, a thriftiness, almost a – I guess maybe a distaste of reckless consumption. I, I, I don't know if there's, there's, there's a way to say that. They did not see that as appropriate. Right, right. And I'll, right. I'll use, I always use my grandma as an example because uh, my grandma lived directly across the street uh, from a uh, Dairy Queen. And so when my family would come to town, um, very often we hadn't eaten in hours and hours and hours, and she loved feeding people. But a lot of times what she was feeding people were leftovers, and at least towards the end of her life, you don't – you had no idea how long those leftovers are there, who made them. <laughs> sure. I mean it was – I'm not saying it was questionable, but it was questionable. It was botulism roulette. Yeah. And you know, you got little kids, and I'm like – you know, A, are they going to be cool with this? And I just need to keep them kind of quiet and happy because they're grandma's house. And trust me, grandma's house is boring if you're a little kid. Mm-hmm. So we'd get there and we'd be like, no, 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 grandma. I'm going to walk across the street and get a couple of cheeseburgers from Burger King or from uh, Dairy Queen. And it would offend her to no end that I would mm-hmm. go buy $9 worth of cheeseburgers rather than eat her leftovers. It, it would it would offend her. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was because she was that generation that grew up in the Depression. And why are you going to spend good money when I have food right here? Right. And it, 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 I, I do think that's a, um, if not a defining, then certainly a common trait of, of those generations. And, I mean, there's something to be said for that kind of attitude um, as opposed to, um, you know, consumerism as it's as it's increasingly taken hold in the generations that followed. So there's something to be said about about that approach um although you know there's also something to be said for you know we've we've got a lot going on right so we can't uh uh, there's a trade-off there between convenience and um and frugality yeah no definitely well all right so the silent generation and the greatest generation fought in world war ii and then world who's war the II. definitive uh who who defines wh- where the generations cut off and stuff where is there a is there a like a international body that uh, sets these or what's uh, where can we look up the the guide to generations you know i i got most of my dates off of wikipedia but as far as i can tell really what this is is this is a bunch of kind of pop social scientists who want to write books and so they throw out a book like tom brokaw he's a journalist he writes a book called the greatest generation so he's got to pick a date you got to pick one all right you're going to start here you're going to end here so there's a there's another one I'll mention later called Xennials. So, you know, this used to be easy. You had Gen X and then you moved into Millennials. But no, Xennials are this group that straddle in between. So there's there's actually I don't think there's one hard and fast rule. There's there's kind it's kind of all over the place. All right, all right. But 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 generally I think yeah, I think when we when we talk about um the baby boomers, we we kind of know who we're, we're talking about our parents. If it's you and me, right? And our and totally. our friends' parents. Yeah. So, okay. So, and we're the ones after that. We're the Gen Xers. Yeah. Uh, we're that, you know, what, what do they call that? A, a demographic cohort. Um, and we are the Gen Xers and, and that's fine. Gen Xers are great. Um, there's lots of different, um, I'm, I'm trying to find it right now. There's lots of different uh, rules on when the Gen Xers started more than ended. Well, I skipped one. Hold on. I apologize. I just skipped one. The baby boomers. They right. were, they came. I took, it's my fault. It took you away from there. That's nah, all right. Um, so they started right after World War II. Roughly, it started in 1945. And I've, I've actually lost my notes here. So I'm trying to find it where they ended. I want to say they ended around 1980, but that sounds too big to me. Now, you don't no, have that to... would make you and me boomers. Yeah, no, I think it was around 1970. That's um, yeah, something like that. Basically, when the, when the uh, people, who came home from World War II stopped having kids, right? Yeah, essentially that's it. I'm, of course, I'm so losing it here. You would think you would think mid to late '60s, something like that. Yeah, I, all right, I think that's fair. And my brother was 67, and he's definitely considered a uh, a, a Gen Xer. So right. yeah, it was probably mid '60s or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the Boomers were the ones that came after World War II, and you know their parents, the the Greatest Generation and the Silent Generation, they were. I guess conservative. 
And I guess I mean I don't know I don't necessarily mean that politically, but I you know because many of them were Democrats. But I, I think by today's standards, they were very conservative or traditional. Maybe that's a better word. You think? I think that is a, I think that's a good word. And it's um, you know I don't know how we would uh, gauge um, their uh, you know their social mores other than through media, right? And when we look at media, certainly we see a much more conservative or, or traditional um, lifestyle portrayed than, than what we see today. But I don't know if that's actually reflective of society. I assume it is. Why would they tune in to watch if, if it wasn't something that they were familiar with? But yeah, it certainly seems that um, it was certainly much more, at least traditional, um, than, than how we would view today. Well, and sorry, just to stay on the silent and the greatest generation for a minute. You know, these are the people that after the war, and I was thinking about this in the car this morning, these are the people that after the war rebuilt Europe. These are the people that came home into corporate America. And I don't mean that in a negative sense, like, oh, those corporate bastards. I mean it in the sense of these are the people that came back and got jobs and were aggressive and capitalistic, pardon the phrase, and they built modern America. Now you can argue, well, they built consumer culture and you can argue if that's good or bad or not or whatever. But I mean, these are the people that came home. They did impressive things during the war. They stopped fascism and then they came home and they almost, and I'll go so far as to say, ended the ability to have a third world war by exploding the economy and making the world a much smaller place where we're much more interdependent on each other. I mean, this, these are They invented advertising for all practical purposes. Think about all the things that got developed between the 40s and the 50s and the 60s. Yeah, it was a it was a crazy, crazy time when you look back on it in terms of uh, how that uh, how that period in in at least American history um, uh, echoes throughout our our time today. I I can hear that, by the way. um, Hear me taking a drink. Yeah, I don't know if you have a mute button. I don't have one. Well, I mean, I've got a I've got a software one on Skype. Oh yeah, I guess I do. I'll I'll, I'll pay more attention now, right? to that. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. But anyway, I mean, they did these kind of amazing things. They really did. I think it was, they rebuilt the world. I mean, we had two world wars. In fact, there's historians that argue there was really only one world war, and but there was a twenty year armistice in between, you know, battles. Um, I mean, the world, million, tens of millions, maybe hundreds of millions of people died. And this is the generation that came that rebuilt it afterwards and rebuilt cities. Entire European cities were destroyed, but they got rebuilt. Well, then come the boomers. Yay, boomers. That's my dad. My dad's, you know, right at the front end of the boomer generation. And they rejected all that. They rejected the traditional values. These are the ones that started off becoming the hippies. Um, but at the same time, they were more educated than their parents were. They were wealthier than their parents were. Certainly now the boomers hold the lion's share of wealth in the world, but certainly in the Western world. Um, but they so were I'm also curious what you mean by when they were, what, which traditional values did they reject? I mean, so when I think traditional values, I think, um, and maybe we have different definitions of this and that's why I'm asking the question, but I think, Having a family, providing providing for that family, um, uh, you know, staying with your wife, um, faithfulness, uh, uh, work ethic, that kind of thing. And I think the boomers, I mean, the the um, you know, free love '60s, notwithstanding, those those kids grew up and 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 put on a tie and went to a job. And uh, I think I think the boomers, uh, at least my, from my perspective, having been raised by them. Um, had had quite a lot of traditional values and and maybe even more values than we're seeing in in the generations beneath us. I certainly don't disagree with that last part. I I, I think in many ways they do. I, all right, so I guess maybe to rephrase, but maybe to explain that a little bit, um, that was the generation that largely abetted, you know, by maybe birth control were the free love generation. Divorce exploded. Now, you can make Mm -hmm. an argument. I I don't think it's an unnatural argument or or wrong argument that, you know, maybe things weren't so perfect in the 50s and maybe women weren't always treated well. And this gave this empowered women to to be masters of their own fate. But that that concept of we're the family unit, we're staying together no matter what ended. 
So all of a sudden right. divorce became a thing. You know, it was traditional that women stayed home and men went to work. All right. of a okay, sudden so that was societal no longer pressures. Yeah, right. Okay. Society, societal, social mores changed such that um, a woman who was contemplating, who, who maybe would have wanted to get divorced um, in the uh, 40s, um, felt no social uh, anti-pressure to do that in the 70s. Yeah. I, and I, I think that's very much the case. And uh, okay. uh, to say that promiscuity abounded is wrong, I, I don't mean promiscuity because that, that feels like I'm casting a, a negative aspersion on the people that were doing it. I'm, I'm not. I'm just saying that that the, the traditional male and woman roles and the traditional ways that men and women behaved through a series of things – was mm-hmm. really allowed to very quickly change between, say, you know, 1955 and 1975. So geologically, 20 years is a very short period of time. But if you were to look at, you know, when the Beatles did Love Me Do and when the Beatles released, you know, Abbey Road, you know, in a very short period of time, they were radically different. Right. And were they so, were they a, uh, a symptom or a cause of the change? I would they were say part of it. But yeah, they were certainly out. there at the moment. Right. And I, mm-hmm. I think they're a good analogy to represent it. Um, and your, your, your point is well taken, particularly given that um, I am personally uh, a product of, of a pregnancy out of wedlock, which, uh, you know, which happened in the mid 70s and uh, which presumably um, 10 to 20 years earlier would have been um, scandalous. Yeah, and I think absolutely. it was par- partially scandalous. I think when it happened, uh, but certainly not as not as life, um, you know, threatening as it would have been. And, and I don't mean like literally life threatening, but right. um, life altering or whatever. Or yeah, maybe rep- future threatening. Yes, yeah. right. Um, as it would have been uh, in the earlier generation. Well, frankly, it probably wouldn't have happened. Like my the the my parents would have gotten married <laughs> if uh, if uh, if the if an unintended pregnancy had happened. Uh, you know, the generation before. Yeah, the family would have forced it. Right. It wouldn't have been a question. Mm-hmm. So the the boomers, you know, they 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 were a different. They were different than their parents, and you know, they were marked by say Vietnam. But at the same time, it it wasn't the same kind of thing as World War II, where that was on the home front. That was fighting, you know, the good fight. This was moral and ethical, and in Vietnam. The people didn't necessarily see it as the home, the people at home, especially now. At the time, I do wonder how it was really thought of at the time. But certainly now, if you look back on the Vietnam War, everybody thinks of, you know, the anti-war movement. Oh, how immoral and unethical this was. Although, you know, I question at the time if they quite saw it that way or if everybody did. Um, I think those that fought it became the thought leaders that have now told us, oh, no, back in the day, everybody was like this. And I don't know that that's necessarily true. Well, I don't think we I don't think we could, we're in a position to ever to know that uh, we weren't there. Right. And, and maybe maybe even the people who are there, um, you know, maybe their perceptions are tainted by their by their changing views as well. Yeah, I think that's true. So but then the boomers kind of they gave birth to us, the Gen Xers. Um, so but our you know, we were raised by boomers, although I was raised by a particularly conservative set of boomers. I don't I don't think calling them. I don't think of my parents as boomers, even though they, they, by every single definition, were. My parents share many more of the characteristics of, say, the silent generation than than boomers. But they they were boomers, early boomers. But um, you know, the the boomer or the Gen Xers were a little bit different because we had both sets of groups in our lives. Our grandparents were the greatest or the silent generation. Our parents were boomers, so we'd see the difference between those two. And then, but we weren't defined by this great war or this great, you know, or anti-war. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were the first group. I mean, latchkey kids. You remember that? Remember that? Phrase? I was a latch. I was a latchkey kid. Yeah, I, I was that. a latchkey kid too. And and yeah. for those maybe listening that don't know what a latchkey kid is, um, the the concept was these. This was the first generation of kids of young people that grew up w- where both parents worked. And right. you would come home and you carried – you wore a key around your neck or in your pocket. But, you know, I – and I don't know if you did. I had, On a string, I had a key around my neck. Yeah, me too. Shoe and string. Then, 
Uh, mine was just a string, but so your shoestring, so that's a better story. Um, <laughs> and and we unlock the door, and and we would spend an hour or two hours at the end of the day by ourselves. And this is at an age that would be that would shock the conscience uh, probably today. I, I I am quite sure that I was a latchkey kid from fourth grade, possibly third, but definitely by fourth grade I was spending you know at least a couple hours a day alone in the house or outside. Uh, I mean I didn't necessarily stay in the house. No. Well. I, for me, it was the summer after third grade. Uh, so I guess that would makes me a fourth grader. Um, mm-hmm. And all summer, well, not only at night, but all summer, I was home by myself. And yeah. um, that was today. I think that's illegal. Don't you have to be like 13 today or something or 12? I mean, my I haven't looked this up uh, very in much detail, but my understanding is that it's really like a judgment call. It's like you have to be responsible or something. I, I don't know that. I think there there, there might be guidelines uh, legally, but I don't think it's like they can haul you away necessarily. Yeah. Okay, uh, I think it's up to the discretion of the officer. But don't take that as legal advice. <laughs> yes, nothing, folks. Nothing we say here is legal advice. Please, just yeah. <laughs> let's be clear about that. We're going to need a disclaimer at the start of the show. Um, but you know, we, we were the ones that grew up without a huge adult presence in our lives. And, and, you know, my parents grew up in the same town as their grand, their parents and grandparents. And so there was, even though, you know, at least on my dad's side, the family was relatively small. You know, he was only child, which was unheard of back then, but there was lots of family in the town where, you know, there was this big migration to the suburbs. In, in my case, my family moved up from the south because, you know, there was work in the north. And um, so I, I grew up in a suburb of a bunch of houses that looked very similar without a lot of family nearby. And, you know, kind of without my adult, my parents, my adult presence being around all that often. I I, I don't know if you had. Yeah, no, it's, it is similar. It is similar. Um uh, I spent a lot of time, um, outdoors and, uh, you know, with the, with the neighborhood kids, uh, you know, occasionally getting in fights, not often, but, uh, you know, working things out amongst yourself. What I would say, um, at least the cynical part of me wants to say is developing skills that, um, that I worry that, that some of the generations, uh, after us have, have not been able to foster as well, or at least as independently, um, because you know we're all scared they're going to get diddled. <laughs> yes, I, I think I have a tattoo. All right, <laughs> all right, kids, when you go out today, don't let anybody diddle you. Yes. Um, you know, but we were the first generation that grew up integrated. You know, my dad. Remembers, Do you mean racially integrated? I mean I just, racially. Where integrated. Where are we going here? Okay, all right. Well, no, I mean racially integrated because you know, right. my dad, you know, which grew up in the South, he remembers. Um. Co- colored only is that what the signs were um he remembers I, yeah, seeing sounds, signs so, like yeah. that in fact i'll tell a quick story if you don't mind if we have just a second so i went with my dad to kentucky lake when i was um god i couldn't have been 10 11 years old and we were supposed to go fishing and of course i wanted to do everything else under the world and go fishing with my dad which today i'd love to go fishing with my dad um so we we go fishing and we don't catch anything it's a miserable hot this is in kentucky and we leave about lunchtime. Well, we end up driving by this little cafe, which my dad loved those crappy little cafes. So a little greasy spoon. So we stop in and we eat at the counter. Because when it was just me and my dad, we always ate at the counter. And it's the formica, the red formica top with the silver railing around it, the circular spinning um, uh, stools that I would always spin around on. And I'd get a face when I was goofing around too much. Sure. And I swear to God, I'm not making this up. I totally remember this. Um, there's this sign on the side of the, like the cash register because the counter turned and went vertical for a second and that kind of protected the cash register from, you know, whatever. And, um, there's this little hand carved wooden sign that said something to the effect of we reserve the right to refuse service to anyone or, or, or something like that, or, or we reserve the right to refuse, to refuse service to anyone we choose something mm-hmm. to that effect. And my dad pokes me and goes, hey, you see that sign? And I look at it and I read it. And he goes, do you know what that means? 
And of course, you know, at the time I'm, you know, a dumbass. So I'm like, Oh, of course I do. And I, I wasn't quite sure, but I thought I knew. And, um, he goes, you'll never see that again. Remember that you've seen that. And I go, okay, well, I swear to God, not two minutes later, a black family walks into the restaurant. And in my mind, they looked exactly like the Huxtables, which remember it's a hundred degrees out. So I'm sure the guy was not wearing some, you know, beautiful patterned sweater, but, um, this black family walks in and the, I, I remember this clear as day. The wife turns to, and I assume husband and wife, I don't actually know that, but the waitress who seemed to be kind of out front and then the man who was the cook in back, she turns and looks to the cook in back and he steps out of the kitchen and before the, like the black family can even say a word, he goes, this is to go, right? And the husband's kind of flummoxed for a second and then the wife clearly more on the ball goes, yes, this is to go. And, uh, they, they order and we had already ordered. So my dad and I had already ordered and, um, they ordered and I swear their food came out. They didn't sit down. They stood right there at the counter. I swear their food came out in like two seconds. I'm sure it was longer than that. I have no doubt. I was a little kid. What do I know? And I remember being miffed cause I'm like, Hey, we ordered first. Why isn't our food out here? And they get their food and they leave. And I kind of, I, and I saw it and I, it, I, I didn't fully kind of understand what was going on. And then we get in the car and my dad says, all right, did you see that? I go, you know, yeah, I saw that. He goes, you'll never see that again. That is very likely, the, I mean, the last time that will ever happen. Now, of course, you know, in Kentucky, I'm sure it's not the last time it ever happened, but in my life, that was, I think, the first and only time that I've seen something even close to that level of, you know, actual, like, malignant prejudice. So, you know, I would, I would, I mean, my, my, uh, my natural skepticism is, is peaking up, is peaking in that, you know, maybe this guy knew this person, maybe he, maybe, maybe they were regulars, maybe, uh, you know, your, your young mind was interpreting it differently, but the fact that your dad, seem to be uh, cued into the situation as something nefarious going on um, suggests that maybe that is something which seems, which strikes me as odd in the mid eighties. I, I don't think I've had, I ever had any experiences like that uh, in the eighties. You know, and I, to be honest, it, this would have been as this couldn't have been earlier than 1985. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would be shocked if it were maybe 84, I, but um, so I would have been nine potentially. But it's it's one of those things that I've even questioned that memory. Um, and my dad, my dad and I've never really talked about it, but he does remember that it happened. Um, hmm. But he and I've never really said maybe I should do that. Maybe I should try to sit down and see if he remembers it still. Um, but I, I, I vividly remember that. And I was like, holy crap. You know, but we were the generation that grew up kind of after that. You know, there were black kids in my school. We had Bangladesh. There was. Bangladeshis. I mean, I grew up in a, I would even say a fairly white school, but there, it was, you know, certainly integrated. My neighborhood was certainly integrated. But yeah, I mean, I, I our, don't think it's, we don't have to keep the a secret that we went to the same school, at least <laughs> yeah. secondary school. Um, and it was, uh, it was quite, quite integrated. In fact, it's, uh, it, it has become less integrated uh, as, as time has gone by, but not in the way one might think. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. But I mean, it's, it's something that we were exposed to that our our parents and our forebearers never were, but we were the first kids to get computers. In fact, you did you have a computer before me? You I might have before you, but I know I know our family had one very early on. Is you were the one who who showed me America Online? Okay, yeah, I mean that was, but we 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 were. Uh... You were computerized before America Online. Certainly, we were on. We were dialing up BBSs long before America Online. Oh, definitely. Yeah. All right. Why don't you explain what BBSs are? Yeah. So BBSs um, would be like um, 
instead of an instead of one place where you dial into the internet you dial into all of a bunch of well, i would say your friends but also it could be it could be someone you don't know as long as you've got the number of basically private networks that are not uh necessarily connected to each other um but but they're you're you can become connected to them um for a given session it's, it, typically we're talking or always we're talking about a modem line so um, you know, the, how I remember the modems that went 2400 baud and then 56 K. And I think there were other iterations in between. So you would, you would dial up to this computer and you would, um, this computer would have one or more phone lines that, uh, that were set to answer the phone and you would make a connection with it. And, uh, you could, there were, it was in some ways there, there are analogies to, uh, like, um, comment, uh, sections of websites, but they were called bulletin boards. And, uh, um, and maybe that's still a thing. I mean, fortune's kind of forum, like maybe Yeah, forum. Yeah, sure. Forum. Um, and it was sort of, a. there were also IMs. I mean, I met my first uh, real girlfriend, um, on one of these BBSs. <laughs> I, and I, I M'd her, uh, to ask her if she wanted to go out sometime. Um, cause well, I was crippling, know, cripplingly shy. If, if I could say, and I was going to say this before you brought it up that pre-internet you won the the internet you won you you got it you were the one guy in america that not only met a girl and got dates and got a girlfriend on a computer but she was a babe too she was yeah no it was uh, she was she was not um uh she was way out of my league too <laughs> uh, such that um oh and and she uh, you know it's, this is a um like a, a a joke now to say this, but she really did go to a different school. <laughs> so she's um, in Canada. I've yeah, got she's in Canada, and she was Canadian. She's Canadian too. She was. Canadian. She is Canadian. <laughs> See, so, that's how people know we're gonna make this up. No, that can't be uh, true. I know. Uh, so I would tell people um, uh, in my school that I had a girlfriend, and and I, I didn't really find out until later that that most people did not believe me. No, we were we were all jealous. It, it really was true. But you know, it's funny just to reflect for a minute. BBSs were the internet of one. So you could log in and then I could log in and then somebody else could log in and somebody else could log in and somebody else could log in. And then you could log in again to see if somebody responded to your message. Right. Which is exactly where the internet has gone with 4chan and Reddit and even Facebook to a degree. It's you look for the comments underneath your post. And it, it's it's funny how here we are. Are we 25 years out? What year would that have been? 1990? No, 88. So we're more than 25. Yeah. So we're more than 25 years out, and yet really the Internet didn't change anything. <laughs> yeah, we have come full. Well, the, the, uh, I think what that might demonstrate is that uh, the Internet um, has fac- facilitating something that is useful and desired, and that is you know, uh, both instantaneous and also asynchronous uh, communication um, via, you know, uh, words, via, via text. Um, I think texting also is part of this. There's, it, there's an appeal to, um, communicating with, with over the written word, um, as opposed to verbally, which I think is what makes texting, uh, and, you know, c- the, the kind of communication we're talking about here, 4chan, Reddit, that kind of thing. So appealing. Um, there's a reason that, uh, um, I, you know, I find myself texting my wife, uh, eight times a day rather than what what could have been said in a five minute phone call. For some reason, it's just appealing. And, and maybe that's something we could explore maybe in a different episode. But yeah, no, uh, I, think I think that, that I think that's interesting. So so that was us. This we were the first generation, the Gen Xers. We had computers. We had computerization. We had all of the things that the generations before us kind of built were kind of building came to its natural conclusion. Computers were now in the home with us i got i got my first actual pc i think in the eighth grade eighth or ninth grade uh, but i mm-hmm. think it was the eighth grade and my dad even sent my brother because he didn't he was my dad was terrified of computers and he hated them and I, I remember this and so he sent my brother and he gave my brother money to go buy me a computer hmm. my brother didn't want a computer my brother wanted a stereo so my brother got the stereo, but I got a computer and, um, you know, and it was considered yours. You had, you had, you had a, you, you had uh Jack's computer. It, it was in my room. 
Wow. It was my computer. And yeah, my dad did rare. my dad didn't want to look at it. He didn't want to be around it. Um it 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 was it was as if it offended him somehow. Um and, and maybe he was right, who knows. But so it was mine. But he didn't know what I was gonna do with it. He just had heard that it was good and it would make kids smarter or something. Um so he got it. And you know, it's it's funny because I had to learn, unlike my kids, who my kids are actually surprisingly not computer literate. I can't give my boys, my 14-year-old, I can't give him a device where I don't set it up for him necessarily. Really? It, it's, I, it's, it's weird. It's, I could see them being like Windows um, ignorant, or, or, you know, because, because their world is not – we've kind of gone past the PC now for, that, for our kids' generation. But it, would, it, it surprises me a little bit that uh, he, he feels the same way about, about devices. I mean, my kids seem to know their way around that stuff in, intuitively. Well, there are parts of it he certainly does, but I'm, I'm just surprised sometimes how not inquisitive they are mm. towards the devices. They simply want the devices to work, but they right. aren't interested in how they work. Where for me, I had to sit down and learn it all from the ground up, from the first time I turn it on to you know everything. Mm. Playing F nineteen Stealth Fighter, which was an awesome friggin' early PC game. Um. Yeah, I mean, I remember there, there were, do you remember basic? I don't know if you ever, pro, oh, I did yeah. a little bit of basic program, but, but, I, but you, it was also, you would have to like, uh, you would get certain programs that were, that were compiled on basic and you'd have to, you know, type in the command, load this or run this. Yeah. 10 uh, run, 20 go yeah. to this, 30 yeah. go to uh-huh. this. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. I learned, uh, I learned, ba- I learned basic and I learned, I think I hit a, a hint of Fortran. But I remember really? basic. I don't remember any Fortran. Hmm. Um, but you know, then you have, you know, so here we were. I'm not saying it was like Lord of the Flies or anything, but we we did not have a lot of supervision, and so lots of kids did lots of dumb things, but mostly survived it. And those that didn't probably weren't really meant to. Um, but then you know, along come the millennials. So here we are, the generation that grew up. A little bit Lord of the Flies ish, a little bit, you know, kind of on our own and, um, you know, the winner take the spoils kind of thing. And again, it wasn't like that, but it it felt that way sometimes. And then here we are, the generation that gave birth to the most sheltered generation. You know, we're the helicopter parents. Uh, Or certainly I was. I don't know if you were. I was a helicopter parent. I'm not so much anymore. Well, I I mean, in some ways, you don't have much choice. because I mean, we hear these stories, um, and, and I, I like to think that there's a there's a movement away from this. But when when we had young kids, um, you could you would be called on, you know, like communist Russia style by your neighbors if they if they suspected you weren't hovering over your children. If this if you know if they saw children unaccompanied or walking to the park alone, uh, you can get the police called on you um, because we we're all you know this was the um, uh, what is it, Adam Walsh or whoever that kid was? Uh, oh my you know, God, this, yeah, yeah. This is this is this is what we were dealing with, right? Is is this this fear because of, um, you know, I think there's a lot of things at play here, but but I would blame primarily, um, you know, nationwide ne- uh, news coverage, um, of which which tends to amplify small things into looking like big problems, um, and so we were all afraid our kids were going to get get kidnapped. So yeah. no, you can't. You can't. Or, or we're we're afraid that the, uh, you know, that the guy next door is a pedophile or something. And I'm and I've still that's a real fear. Like I would like if 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 I found out my kids were were at a neighbor's house and th- that there weren't other kids there, and it was just an adult. I would freak the f out. I would assume that something bad had happened. And I'm saying this to contrast it with my own uh, child that I distinctly remember. There was an old guy in the neighborhood who was just an old, lonely guy, and we would all go into his house, and he just liked he liked company. I don't think there was anything to fear. Certainly, not, certainly nothing untoward ever happened to me. And did he, he give, diddle you? He did not diddle me. As far as I know, he didn't diddle anyone, and he would give us butterscotch candies, and he was just a guy who just... It does, it's, it's, it's hard to tell the story without making it seem weird, but it no, wasn't I, weird. <laughs> it, you it wake was up, just, and you're like, Mr. Cosby! No. <laughs> But that's just, I mean, I didn't think twice. My parents didn't think twice about it. It was fine. 
No, it was it was a a normal. I would go to at my grandma's. I would go to the neighbor's house and hang out with them because they were kind of neat older people. Yeah, and that was kind of it. You know, but the the, the millennials and I I, I don't want to you know bash millennials, but it's it's one of those things where I think we became our own worst enemy. We gave we gave birth. Huh? We're just kind of doing a test run. This incredibly entitled generation. And now these this entitled generation is moving into the workforce. Um I, I work with one right now. He's he's you know employee of the same company I work for and he's a young guy and he's educated and he's he does just because he's educated doesn't mean he knows anything. He actually doesn't. Or or very little. And he's learning by the day and he's he's gonna be good someday. And he really thinks that he should run the place. And mm-hmm. he came in he came in to me the other day and I, it's funny, we're, we're getting ready to start this podcast. And so he comes in and he, he's asking me what the proper way to object to an HR policy is. <laughs> and and, and really? I'm, I'm very kind of libertarian about things. And I'm like, well, this is how you do it. You know, I'll give you one of two ways to do it. And both of them end up being the same kind of thing. So let's, let's talk about what you have going on. Um, and and he's explaining why he objects to the policy, and I'm like, okay, I, I understand your objection to the policy, um, and I'm not telling him that I actually objected strenuously to the policy, and several, you know, of the higher level executives did, um, but we ultimately lost, and we are now, you know, it, we are now required to carry it's the out law the policy. land. It's the law yes. of the land. It is what it is, and uh, but I'm not telling him that necessarily. And so he's going on and on about this policy and okay. And I explained some things about the policy to him and come to find out he hadn't read the policy. He didn't understand the policy and he had come in to object. And, and here's what bugged me though. And, and this is where I kind of look at myself and, and I'm like, oh, maybe, I don't know. This is where I've got to look at myself a little bit. It didn't offend me that he wanted to object to the policy. You want to object to the policy? Rock on. That I, I feel very strongly about that. You should have the right to object if you need to or if you feel that it's important. But when I asked him, I said, what do you want to accomplish? Are you looking to get this policy changed? He said no. He really just wanted to complain about it to somebody <laughs> and not just to me. He didn't. Okay. When I asked him, do you want to change the policy? He said no. And I even asked him again. Are you sure? I mean, you're what are you looking to do for this? He just wanted to complain. I'm like, well, fine. I kind of I got on him a little bit about not having read the policy and kind of sent him away. I was done talking to him at that point. You know, you want to change something? Come on, I'll help you change it. But if you just want to whine, piss off. I'm not interested anymore. Yeah, I mean, I I think what we're seeing is some of the effects of um, of not allowing our children to make mistakes and, and, and learn these things on our own and, and sort of being constantly in our protection. Uh, and, and, you know, I've got a, I've got a somewhat analogous, but thankfully shorter story. Sorry. Um, <laughs> that felt like a shot. So sorry. And <laughs> um, uh, our job, it was and uh, a, a coworker around my age was, was telling the story uh, that uh, one of the interns, I guess was, um, uh, talking about housing or something and saying, well, um, I, he was having trouble. Um, I don't know, getting, getting sign off on his apartment lease or something. Maybe it was an intern. Maybe it was a new employee. Anyway, it wasn't our problem. Right. So, but, and, and, um, we were like, and she said, well, I was being sympathetic to him. And, uh, in the sense of, you know, sure. I'm, this is, this sounds you know, like a real, sounds like, sounds like a pickle you're in there, but he, you know, the, the, what was clear, what became clear is that he was looking for her to solve his problem. Uh, which a, a problem, in other words, uh, he, he did not, it didn't occur to him that this, that, that he had to solve this. And I think that's, um, a bit of, uh, sort of a, a, a small example of what our generation sometimes may be frustrated about with the generation below us is that we learned, and maybe it's not that the generation below us is fault, but, but we learned to solve our own problems. Whereas I think the generation below us has not had that skill and expects people to fix things for them. 
people or the government or authority figures or or someone uh, in such that they don't consider themselves capable or it doesn't even occur to them to solve their own problems. Yeah, that's that's actually a pretty good segue to something I wanted to talk about. Oh, are we going to wrap this up? <laughs> yeah, we, we can. Right, we can wrap this up. This is this has been good. Uh, and this is a great inaugural episode. I mean, it, we're certainly not going to talk so much about the generations in the future, except probably bitching about millennials. But uh, right. No. Yeah. I mean, so if, if we're going to break it down, I mean, I think I think this is really good. Um, I think that um, I would I would go more on uh, I would make it a little less like a history lesson. Definitely. Thought, yes. We'll never do this again. Yeah. Um, but but to the extent that uh, we can use the outline to to bounce off our personal experiences, our personal thoughts about things or our thoughts as as someone of our age or someone who went through our experiences, um, you know, what was it like to have uh, boomer as a, as parents, which we did go into a little bit. Um, I think that, I think that's good. I think that's, I think there's some meat there. No, definitely. I, I totally agree. Well, um, and I think well, we should shoot for like 30 to 45 minutes. I, I think that's, I think we're testing, uh, particularly, uh, when we begin and, and, and I'm, but I'm, I, I'm willing to to, ha- to listen to your opinion if you if yours differs from mine, but I think we're testing people's patience if we go too too long on something. I completely agree. Uh, a, I think we can be more concise, and by we, I mean me. Um, I'll be putting you back. And then I think also I think thirty to forty five minutes is the perfect time for a commute. I think yeah. you've got, you've got to be pretty special. You've got to have something really to contribute to go longer than a commute time. Yeah, or like a guest or something. I mean, that's. But yeah, I think if we can keep, if we can try to keep the conversation short, shorter, um, I think that'd probably be good. Cool. All but right. Well, so th- well, yeah. I think our back and forth was good. Um, I think our our balance of you talking and me talking was good. Um, I, I think it went well. It didn't feel right. like work. Well. Uh, Let me just give a natural segue here, and then we'll probably talk offline a little bit after this. This has been the inaugural episode of the Running in Place podcast, which is a Gen X take on a millennial world. And I'm Jack. And Craig. And he totally caught that cue. You see, we know each other. And thank you, everybody. And we hope you like it. And I promise we will suck less next time. But I'm ching. Ah, Come on, I like that. I was I was I was slipping out of character there at will. I didn't realize we were supposed to stay in character. I, I actually I, I don't think you got out of character. Well, that whole last part, I, I was I intended that to me like.